We're starting to see definitely some bifurcation in the channels. We're starting to see partners starting to establish new identities, maybe new ways to market, new ways to approach customers and to be able to drive customer success. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Mincione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Mincione. Welcome to or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver your greatest results. Our world is grappling with profound security threats from bad actors, terrorists, and nation states, threatening organizations, economies, and national security. Sounds pretty ominous. At the same time, technology organizations are breaking through old channel models. As subscriptions, marketplaces, and the cloud redefine what it means to be a partner. Hold on to your seats. And if you want to learn how to drive great success in this new world order, then you won't want to miss this episode. My guest for this episode of the podcast is Frank Rausch, the worldwide head of channel sales at Checkpoint, an organization breaking through old channel models while helping the best in the business solve for cybersecurity threats organizations and nations face. I've known Frank for many years, and I was excited that he could join to discuss these incredibly important topics with our listeners. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed spending time with Frank Rausch. Frank, welcome to the podcast. Vince, I am so happy to be here. I've been waiting months for this opportunity. (laughs) I am so excited to finally welcome you as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You and I have known each other for many years, and you're the worldwide head of channel sales at Checkpoint, a leader in the cybersecurity market. And you've been around this world of partnering for so many years. I'm really excited for this conversation today. So welcome. So am I. So you have a rich career, amazing career in technology and in partnering. So first, for our listeners, let's talk a little bit about you. Sure, Vince, and thank you. I'm not sure it's as rich as you think it is, but I'll try to do my best. You know, channel, channel's interesting. So, you know, basically, I'm a Philadelphia guy. I'm a Philly guy. Hopefully nobody holds that against me. I was literally born here. I went to... Uh, prep. I went to uh, I went to college here. I started my career with IBM, and when I started my career with IBM in Philadelphia, it was direct sales, direct sales, direct sales. I then uh, moved on to what became HPE, and it was direct sales. It was managing an area, managing a region, managing half of the U.S. as a direct sales force. And I had an opportunity at that point, and you know this probably along the lines when you and I first started to work together, to be able to work for a great leadership team. 
And it was a leadership team that was run by Jack Novia, Dave Booth, and a few other people. And they said, hey, look, you know, if you're going to really become an executive in this company, you need to be able to broaden your scope. So they put me in a strategy and planning role for about a year and a half. And I got to work with Marius Haas. I got to work with a whole bunch of people. And I got to work with Bain, McKinsey, et cetera. I wouldn't say it was the most enjoyable year and a half out of my life, but I learned a lot and my skill base broadened a little bit. So at the end of it, Jack and Dave called me into the office and they said, you know, you really hung in there for a year and a half, but we're going to give you any job we can give you. What do you want to do? So I said, well, you know, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I've been observing these channel people. They seem to have the time of their life. I mean, great dinners, golf, Super Bowls. I said, I want to be, I want to be a child guy. And that's how it, that's how it all started. <laughs> that's incredible. I love it. You know, I, I might have shared this with you. You know, the first time we met, we were both at one of our joint partner. I was at Microsoft, and I believe you were still at HP. And you were doing a live demo on stage of the cloud. Like, this was the beginning of the cloud time. So that was the first time we met. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was different environments. So when you look at it, I mean, I worked for some of the best CEOs in the industry. I'm really fortunate. And they include Carly Fiorina, Meg Whitman, Mark Hurd, Pat Gelsinger, and, of course, Gil Schwed. I learned, you know, the challenge was different under each one of them. At HPE, it was kind of taking a, a enterprise channel and to be able to make it scale. At VMware, it was pivoting from a rocket ship product, vSphere, into five other different businesses and creating a channel almost for each, each one of those five. At Checkpoint, it was taking a company that's been in, that was in the channel for 23, 24 years, and really to be able to transform that channel. So really different, really good experiences. You know, we're going to jump in here in a little bit and talk about this amazing transformation we've seen, right, in these last 18 months or so. But first, for our listeners who don't know Checkpoint, I was hoping you could take us through your amazing pedigree as a leader in the cybersecurity space. Wow, where do I begin? Let's start in 1993. So Gil and and his two partners, Marius and uh, Shlomik, basically developed a company called Checkpoint. That was really the first firewall. And they realized at that point that they wanted to be 100% channel. And so they basically knocked on distributor doors. And Gil tells me these stories literally, you know, every time I talk to him, and they're great stories about how that started, how how that started back then. Because if you think about it, as maybe in today, they had to explain a need for the product, they had to explain the product, and then basically they had to develop a channel program around it. So we were 100% channel back when we first sold products in the 94, 95 timeframe, and we still are 100% channel, which very much differentiates us in the security industry. And I think it gives partners confidence. And by the way, we are still working on security, but obviously the security landscape has changed. I mean, people, you know, people hear about, you know, things that had happened with SolarWinds, people hear about Cassette, 
people hear about Continental Pipeline, et cetera. This is front page news, and it's really the topic of, you know, the Economic World Forum. It's the topic of board meetings right now. It's not just internal IT, and for good reason. So when you start to, you know, just look at the data, the year-over-year Gen 5 attacks, which means multi-vector sophisticated attacks, are up 93% year-over-year. They're affecting about over 1,200 companies per week. This is big news. It really is. And, you know, how these attacks start, it varies. It really does. And that's why we're... That's why we're branching out. So when I go back to the 93, 95 story, it was all about setting up the perimeter. It was all about network security. We've expanded that. We now have scalability and network security, more sophistication, and that's what we call quantum. We have another product line that's called Harmony. And Harmony is is really about protecting the first line of defense which in today's market is the remote worker. So it's mobile, it's endpoint, it's remote access, it's SD-WAN, SASE, et cetera. And then we're working with your former employer, which is a lot of fun, Microsoft and AWS, as well as Google and others, to be able to offer cloud security. We're actually Microsoft's co-sell partner for the last two years, partner of the year for the last two years in a row. And we're working on some really, really interesting things with the other hyperscalers as well. We've also gotten into IoT. So when you think about the number of devices, the 400 devices that are an attack surface in a hospital room, we have the ability to protect the healthcare industry, smart buildings, infrastructure, industrial, and we're working on a really, really cool project with Deloitte right now, which is their smart factory. So they um, teamed up with Wichita State, and they actually have built this test facility that mimics industrial factories to be able to work with companies like AWS and then to be able to work with Deloitte to be able to really have customers come in there and see what the environment really looks like. And then, of course, you know, we we protect everything with Infinity, which is kind of our wrap-up play, our total protection play. Then we have a threat cloud that documents, catalogs every security threat we see every single day. So we have a library that our customers and our partners can use. Wow, you covered a lot of ground here, and I think we need to unpack this a little bit. So 93% growth and ransomware. And this has been such a huge topic. I mean, there was a recent meeting at the White House with some of the key leaders like Satya Nadella. And then you talk about Checkpoint and its strategy and all the different solutions and how you wrap around. I mean, it seems like the most comprehensive solution out there. Tell us why Checkpoint is unique in this industry. I think it's unique in the industry because, you know, basically we, we, you know, we're just a really different company than some of our competitors. We haven't done this with a whole lot of acquisitions. We've acquired Odo. We've acquired Protego. We've acquired Simplify. We don't necessarily, you know, basically run them as several, several business units. So I would say it's a tightly integrated stack. 
but it's not a monolithic stack. We employ more people in R&D than any of our competitors. So the research and development piece of it is really, really important to us. We're an Israeli company. You know, most of our R&D is done out of Tel Aviv, which gives us access to some of the best talent in the world because that really has become the security super hub. Now I think, you know, we're differentiated in the way we go to market too. Being an all partner is a commitment. It's a commitment to the channel industry. I think it's a commitment that's valued. And it really extends beyond just resale product. It extends to giving our partners the opportunity to be able to deliver services on the front end of the deal, professional services to be able to help us drive customer success. Yeah, we have our own resources, but they're there not to displace the partner, really to complement the partner. You know, you bring up a really great point here because cybersecurity is such a complex set of problems and solutions to go solve that. And you're selling through the channel exclusively. How does your team work hand in glove with these partners to be the most effective they can? It's a great question. And honestly, I, I don't think there's any end point. I would love to tell you that I haven't figured it out. But quite honestly, I mean, it's evolving day by day. When you look at the omni-channel, which seems to be the buzzword these days, you know, you're looking at something that involves electronic marketplaces. You're looking at various customer segments, various geographies, various types of partners. You know, a lot of partners, not necessarily in our space, but certainly in Microsoft space and AWS space, they don't even want to transact. So you're looking at a, you're looking at a big influence model. I mentioned uh, Deloitte, so many other GSIs. So it's complicated right now. But how we approach it, we approach it with a joint business planning process, and that's going to start you know very soon to be able to start planning for next year. And we're going to plan partner investments. We're going to plan resources, coverages, obviously targets you know, the the various alignment with our field sales force. And we have to do that because we're dependent on a channel so much. Then it then it really goes into how do we how do we start to operationalize? How do we run campaigns? How do we help our partners market? How do we develop joint value propositions? And then we're we're a little bit different because it becomes how do we communicate with the community? How do we communicate with the partner community? So we, you know, we have 68,000 people that we subscribe to our newsletter every month. We have thousands that are in our checkmates, which is kind of the partner user group. Checkmates for partners is really the technical community just kind of talking together, you know, having access to our experts, et cetera. We also gamify the way that we interact with our partners. We have an app called Engage that allows them to be able to find an expert, to be able to accumulate points, to be able to register a deal right on the app. So it's this continuous minute by minute, hour by hour on-demand service that we offer our partners. You know, I love what you're doing here. And you and I were talking about this just before we started recording. I mean, we've been living through this time like we've never seen before in our lives. I mean, it's been a great time of transformation, but also an incredible time of stress. 
I mean, we've seen seven years of transformation. IDC recently referenced seven years of transformation in just this last year alone. You know, the cloud has become ubiquitous. And, you know, you've been around this channel for quite some time. What are you seeing now differently working with partners than you've seen over the course of your career? What are you doing now differently or have to do differently now? Yeah, we're starting to see definitely some bifurcation in the channel. We're starting to see partners starting to establish new identities, maybe new ways to market, new ways to approach customers and to be able to drive customer success. And I think the, you know, the trick is that I was just on a, I was just on a uh, Zoom about an hour ago talking about this to a worldwide team, how we need to be able to, you know, gauge the market, how we need to be able to work with, you know, I'm working with, I'm working with Forrester, I'm working with uh, a couple other people to help us get their vision of the market. In fact, I have a four-hour workshop with Jay McBain today to be able to talk about some of these issues, et cetera. And then to be able to make a program that's flexible enough to be able to not have to be changed every year, to be able to, you know, so you're able to iterate on this without this jump left, jump right mentality. Because if you think about it, you know, security threats, cloud, you know, basically enabling a remote workforce, you know, if you don't have a program that's flexible enough and you run into something like the pandemic or something like these Gen 5 attacks, you're really gonna have to shift big time from one side to the other. What we try to do is we try to build the flexibility into the program. You know, you brought up several great points here. And, you know, you referenced Jay McBain. He's been a guest here multiple times here on the podcast. And we always talk about the five seats at the table, right? And how the role of the partner has changed, this influence strategy, this new consumerization and buying behaviors that have changed from before. Reference this bifurcation as well, right? And the role of the partner. The partners are seeing themselves differently now in the equation. They're redefining themselves. Is that right? Yeah, we really are. Because I mean, if you, again, I'll get back to the early security channel. So the early security channel was a very specialized channel. And by the way, those partners, many of them, many of them, in fact, most of them are still relevant. They're still vibrant today. But when you look at, when you look at some of the, uh, the worldwide partners, whether it's a WWT, Sirius, CDW, Computer Center, coming over from Europe, et cetera, they're, they're building like billion dollar, billion dollar plus security practices. Jay is absolutely right. You know, the influence of the buyer is extremely important. You need to be able to understand exactly how that influence is created, how the buyer is self-educating right now. And then what role do you want the channel to play? Because they're very, very different. The other thing that the other thing that we talk about, and you and I have talked about it before in the past, is really the multiplier effect too. Because it's no longer, you know, there, there's no such thing as a monolithic stack. As much as some partners would like to think there is, you know, really when you start to magnify our brand with the Microsoft brand, with other types of brands. You know, whether it be HPE, whether it be Dell, whether it be somebody else, then all of a sudden you start to get this value stack 
a value stack that extends way beyond checkpoint and probably actually extends way beyond security. And the partners seem to be aligning with those value stacks. And the more you can communicate clearly with exactly how you're going to be able to expand a margin surface and how a partner can build a business around those stacks, it becomes really, really interesting. I love what you had to say here about value and building margin. And it's all about what's in it for me, right? Yeah. It sounds like you're building models to address that with your partners. Is that right? I would, I would love to tell you that we've reached that level of sophistication, but I think, you know, it's, it's evolving and it really depends on the partner as well. How much is the partner willing to take on? How much do they, do they want to be not only the tip of the spear, but the end of the spear to be able to drive this customer value? So I think it's, you know, I'm not sure we've reached scale with it. We're definitely working through it with a number of partners right now. In fact, I had that conversation with the largest security partner in the world literally on Friday. So what do you believe to be key? What do you believe is most overlooked in successfully building a channel model? I think the tendency is to, you know, I'm going to stereotype this much more than I would really like to. But I think the, I think the strategy is to be part of what's missed is to be able to look through the rearview mirror rather than rather than the windshield. And I think, you you know, you need to be able to look forward rather than say the past is going to determine the future. Because I, when I look at some of the programs, that's exactly what I see. The other thing is, you know, creativity. I applaud creativity. I really do. But don't get too creative. Literally, if you can't explain your partner program in, you know, like a minute and a half or two minutes, it's probably, it's probably um, too complicated. The other thing I would say is, you know, really lack of alignment because, you know, it, it fascinates me to be able to hear some of the channel chiefs. And again, I'm not being critical of anybody, but to be able to tell their version, then to listen to their CEO and the earnings call, and then to go to the conference where their sales leader is speaking at, you, you would think you're talking about three different companies. So you need to be able to have that alignment. The other point I would make too, Vince, is really something that I know you've done so well, is continuous feedback and improvement. Don't think there's an end game here. Because literally, like I said, it changes every week and every month. And if you're not talking to the partners, if you're kind of sitting back and you have this kind of like control tower mentality, which I've seen in some of our, in some other companies, you know, then you're going to miss it. You need to be able to have that touch point. And finally, you know, I would say separate, maybe this goes back to the second point, separate the slideware from what the partner really wants. I love what you have to say here. It's such great advice. And, you know, I speak to a lot of what I'll refer to as these newbie channel leaders, these people that didn't come from the channel that are maybe leading channel for the first time in a SaaS-based company. I want to key in on a few things you said here. I think you said the message is the same from the executive team, from the CEO level down to the sales floor to all the leaders in the organization. And sometimes that's not the case, right? We've seen this, we've both seen this play out multiple times. And having this consistent touch point, right? I refer to it as maniacal focus, right? Sometimes we have that great first meeting 
but then there's no focus on the business. And the communication flow isn't where it needs to be. And then you talked about message and having a consistent message and having that on target all the time. Is that right? Yeah, I think you got it exactly right. I think that goes back to a discussion that you and I have had in the past. It's like, what makes a good partner? I can just tell you what makes a good partner. What makes a good partner is when you have, it's the same thing. When you have the conversation with the CEO, that basically you have alignment all the way down to the field rep in the SA. I think that's the same objective you need out of a partner program. So important. So many times you have a CEO that stands up and says, partners are important to our business and that communication either to the board or to the street, but there is no real commitment deep in the business. This is such great advice, Frank, and great learnings for anyone that's looking to build their program. Any other great advice you might have for our listeners, for these channel leaders on their journey? Like what other great advice do you have? I think, I think, you know, I think balance is an important one. And I think balance, you know, balance between internal view and external view. And how do you define that? I think it's just like negotiating for everything. You know, basically nobody's really happy, but you found a mutual conclusion. But I think the channel's a little bit different. The channel, somebody asked me one time, why do you want to be in a channel? I said, really, really, it's a simple reason. Cause... The person that's on the other side of the desk or the other side of the screen is usually mutually aligned, meaning that it's not a I win, you lose scenario. It's an opportunity, whether I'm sitting with the with my boss, our chief customer officer, and basically saying, hey, Dan, here's what we want to do. We can be mutually aligned. Then when I'm sitting across from a channel CEO, we can also be mutually aligned. And that's what I mean by that balance. It's a little bit of of a give and take. So I think balance is important. I think transparency is extraordinarily important. Don't make up your own rules. I've seen this blow up more times than anything. If you're going to present, whether it's internally or externally, present in context and present in relevance. Because you know, if you're saying, hey, you know, we trained 5,000 people in a channel. Well, that's great. But your CFO is probably going to be more interested in. So what are we going to get? What are the yields going to be out of those individuals, et cetera? So I think you need to be able to have that alignment and transparency. I think the other thing is people tend to follow. People tend to follow some of the big names in the industry, some of the big programs in the industry, et cetera. That that might work for a while, but it's not going to work forever. And certainly when you look at some of the new entrants, some of the new IPOs we've seen recently, you know, basically their channel program at that stage is going to look a lot different than some of the more mature ones. You know, understand your strengths and play to your strengths because your strengths are going to be what wins. Don't overcommit, which I see all the time. Try to be realistic. If you're doing modeling, model to the middle. Don't model to the extreme upside because everybody is going to be disappointed. And finally, focus and prioritize. You're not going to be able to do everything. I love what you had to say here, Frank. So many great nuggets of advice for channel leaders, those learning how to build a channel strategy. We're going to make sure we cover this in our show notes. 
So, Frank, you might know I am fascinated with how leaders like you got to this spot in your career, this amazing career you've had. Was there a spark or was there a piece of advice that you received on the journey that got you off on the path to where you are today? I've received, believe me, I've got more advice. That's not that I want to advise. I mean, I, I, you learn something. You learn something from everybody. You really do. When you look at somebody like Pat Gelsinger, you learn how to be able to balance your life. He's one of the most spiritual guys, but he's a great business leader and he's a great technology leader. When you, when you look at somebody like Mark Hurd, you learn how to be able to really torture the, the data, to be able to get the most out of the data. When you look at, when you look at somebody like Gil Schwed, you know, you look at just great intellect and great engineering talent and how you, you know, relationships are one thing, sales, sales are another thing, but you still need to be able to understand that technology. And when you look at somebody like Carly Fiorina, and this is the one I'll, I'll reference, you learn how to be an executive. You learn the executive presence. And she had an opportunity to be able to introduce me to Patrick Lencioni when I was going through kind of her executive development. And Patrick probably gave me the best lessons. It was four points. And he wrote a book about this. He was saying great executives do four things and they do four things well. They build and they maintain a cohesive leadership team. They drive organizational clarity. They over-communicate and reinforce whether it's every word, every part of an email, every presentation, that organizational clarity. And they reward people that demonstrate that they follow that organizational clarity. And not to plug one partner over another, but I think a great example of this is Jim Cavanaugh over at WWT. I'm astounded by how they get the alignment that they get from top to bottom. And when you look at Glassdoor, they're great CEOs. Jim is always at the top of that list. You know, I've got Patrick Lencioni's books right here on my bookshelf. And you talk about building a cohesive leadership team, creating clarity, over-communicating clarity, rewarding clarity. And I don't know Jim personally, but tell us more about him. I, you know, I had good fortune to be able to work with those guys, Joe Koenig, Koenig, as well as Jim, for many, many years over the last 20 years. And, you know, we've kind of grown up, we've kind of grown up in a business together. He's just, he's just a good guy. He's been successful in everything he's done. He was an Olympian. He was one of the co-founders of WWT with Dave Stewart. And he's somebody that I have the utmost respect for. I really do. There's many other good leaders in the channel, but as far as driving end-to-end alignment, and when I say end-to-end alignment, it doesn't just end with the WWT team or their employees. It extends to the partners that they have, like Checkpoint, like VMware, like HPE. And it also extends to their customers. So when you can get a type of alignment, you're in very, very rare air. So many great nuggets around alignment, Frank, right? So, you know, we don't talk about alignment enough, about mindset having to be there, about commitment having to be there, communication, flow, all those things have to be there. So I'm going to shift gears here. We're going to have a little fun now, Frank. You know, I happen to know that you're a fan of music. We're friends. 
haven't known each other many years. We've been friends on Facebook, and I know what you do when you're down in Sea Isle City, your beautiful home there. I know you like to go out and listen to live music. So I've also become a big fan of Spotify, and I've been building Spotify playlists. I've been asking a lot of our guests to build a playlist with me. And so I want you to think about, like, for the foreseeable future, if you could only take five songs along with you on a journey, what would those five songs be and why? Gotta get, you got to give me more than five, but I'll, I'll limit it to five. <laughs> All right. So let's start there. It's going it's to it's show my age a little bit. Let me think about it for a minute. So I would start out with Pink Floyd, Wish You Were Here. Nice. Yeah, I think, you know, because I think it really tells people, uh, I think they did a good job of bringing out the true feelings of an individual. For my uh, second one, I would go to my Philly Jersey roots, and we will go with Bruce Springsteen. Ah. Born to run. I had the opportunity to be able to see Bruce a whole bunch of different times in formal sessions and a little bit informal as well. We used to go to bars and Bruce or Southside Johnny would be in the back of the bar and all of a sudden they'd come up and they start playing with the cover band. Just fantastic. Yeah, like so incredible. I've, I've seen them both several times. For my third one, I'm going to go over to Ireland and I'll go to you too. And it's just one of these songs that just brings me up when I'm down. I'm going to go with Beautiful Day. Probably they're not their most popular, but one that has meaning to me. Nice. What's next? For the fourth one, we'll go on a way back, but probably right now it's as popular as ever with Queen with the, uh, with the movie that came out, Bohemian Rhapsody, and probably the most inspirational song, Don't Stop Me Now. Yeah, what what an incredible performance. I mean, that's one of the ones that he did live at the Live Aid concert, right? Yeah, he did, he did a couple of them. And then the, uh, the final one, I'm going to go back to 2017, but the, store, but the artist was way back from 2017. But in 2017, my Philadelphia Eagles won the, you know, won the Super Bowl against the Patriots. And the theme song was Don't Back Down. So... You know, that was, you know, that, or I won't back down by Tom Petty. So I will absolutely say that's probably at the top of my playlist. Well, I might be showing my age a little bit, but I happen to know all five of those songs. And uh, I can't wait to share this list with our listeners, Frank. I love your selections here. They're all terrific, amazing songs. So, Frank, I just want to thank you. You are, first of all, an incredible friend. And I want to thank you for coming to this podcast and sharing with our listeners so, just so many great nuggets of advice to help build a channel and alliance program. And I really want to thank you because I know how compressed your schedule is. And I want to thank you for making the time for me and for our listeners today. I'm honored and humbled to have had you today. Yeah, Vince, thank you so much for having me. I think you're, you know, I think you're doing great work here. I really enjoyed when you and I were in the workshop together. Really enjoy reading your, your newsletters and your weekly blurbs. Just fantastic work. So whatever I could do to be able to help you, if you want to have me back on again, I'd be more than happy to do it. I'd love to do that, Frank.
I'd love to see what comes out of your program with Jay. And maybe we have you both here six months from now to talk about the outcomes and results from that program. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks so much again, Frank. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.